재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Welcome back. For a lot of people around the world, May 18th is another date on the calendar. For Koreans, though, and anybody who cares about Korea, even the mention of May 18th, or Oilpal in Korean, stirs up a whole cauldron of emotions and memories. 37 years ago today began the Gwangju Uprising, also called the Gwangju Massacre, when the military government of the time gunned down and bayoneted hundreds of pro-democracy protesters, setting in motion an irreversible course of events. Professor Che Yongju was there. He saw the horrors of Gwangju and he marched side by side with protesters. He has devoted a great portion of his life since then to telling the story of that day and the days that followed. Professor Che, welcome. It's great to have you oh, here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for making time. Yeah. Incredible treasure that you bring to this is your own perspectives. You oh, are yeah. a witness. <laughs> yeah. And I, we want to see through your eyes and hear mm. from your perspective mm. what went on there. Mm. Let's just start simply. How did your May 18th start? What did you do? Oh, so at the time, I was a student of the Jeonnam University in Gwangju. Mm. The junior at the Department of Sociology and uh, a member of a student council, one of a core group to lead the Gwangju organizing. Yes. Yeah. The Gwangju uprising, which started as the Gwangju protests. Yeah. These were street protests. Mm-hmm. And you were calling for what? What were your, as marchers, before all of these events happened, yeah. what, were your, what were you asking for? It's a massive protest for the democratization mm. of Korean society. We call it the Gwangju Minjua Undong. Mm-hmm. That means the Gwangju democratization movement. So transition away from military government to mm. a more democratic system. Yeah. Mm. You were out in the streets on May 18th mm-hmm. and the violence started. Can you get, tell us a little bit about that? Describe where you were and what kind of things you were, you were seeing oh, and hearing. Oh, yes. Uh, the direct cause of the Gwangju organizing mm. was the sudden announce of the martial law at uh, May 17th. The day before? Yeah, day before. Okay. Yes. Uh, under the martial law, there's uh, many distant leaders uh, who resist the military regime's dictatorship, they arrested and imprisoned. Mm-hmm. All universities in the whole countries are closed. Mm. And the uh, military post occupies the many uh, major universities. Because the universities traditionally yeah. have been the centers of yes. protest yes. and centers yeah. of agitation. Yes, that's right. Mm. So the May 18th, the next day of the martial law is the announcement. Even though the, that day was the Sunday, many students gathered around the cross front gate of the Jeonnam University. Mm. In defiance of the, the oh, yes. martial yes. law. And then confront the soldiers who occupied the campus. Students tried to cry out the political slogan, such as the repealing of the martial law and the stepping down of the Jeonduan. Jeonduan was the one of uh, leading the military general mm. who controlled the government. Yes, yes. the it, autocrat it, of the time, the, yeah. effectively the dictator. Yes, yeah, the dictator. Yeah. As the, the Jeonduan is the boss of the military junta. That's the beginning of the Gwangju organizing. And then soldiers uh, start to brutally attack the student. So 
the day before they announce martial law, they mm-hmm. say anybody protesting or out on the streets is going to be arrested, imprisoned, that kind of thing. At yeah, no yeah. point did they say yeah. shooting and yeah. killing, that yeah, kind no, of thing. No point. Yeah. No, no point. So yeah. you, mm-hmm. you, your student group, your student council, mm-hmm. defies the closure of the university. Yeah. Yeah. You go out there expecting perhaps to be arrested, mm-hmm. as many protesters mm-hmm. do, mm-hmm. and then... The violence starts. Yeah, yeah, the violence does that. You must have heard the shots mm-hmm. ring out. Yeah. At the day, it's the student to try to march towards the downtown area of Gwangju. The many soldiers suppressed the student march. Student demonstrations expanded in the whole cities. That's the situation of the first day. Uh, maybe the there's a hundred of there's thousands of people that gathered around there. We, we tried to occupy the center of the Gwangju city. Mm-hmm. It's a Gumnam now. Still unarmed at this point. Yeah, no weapons. No, 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 no weapons. Wasn't that a very risky thing to try to oh, do when you had no weapons and they had all the weapons? Oh yes, it's, it's, that was a very risky. That was very risky. We 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 feared that that, that situations. First shooting of the military forces began at the May twenty one, and the, at at the day many people were killed by the military forces. About one hundred people uh, died the shooting of the shooting of the military forces. Mm-hmm. We scattered. You scattered. Yeah, we scattered, and then maybe it's the, the May twenty two. We gathered around the main street of the Gumnam No, mm-hmm. tried to the, the, protest the military force. At the day, the military forces uh, was the backward from the center of the day, went to the uh, outskirts of the Gwangju area. In a sense, surrounding Gwangju. Yeah, yeah. So you were surrounded by the military yes. in Gwangju. Yeah, yes. Did you yourself at some point take up weapons? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, at some point, you must have been thinking to yourself, I started this as a student protester, mm-hmm. a peaceful demonstrator, mm-hmm. and I have essentially transformed, because of what has happened, mm-hmm. uh, into a militant. I'm now mm-hmm. a fighter in, yeah, yeah. in yeah. A, a very tiny civil war kind of thing. Yeah, yes. yes. But the, we needed to armed with uh, guns because the the brutal violence of the military forces. We wanted to protect ourselves from the military forces. So, because of that, we needed armed. We tried to attack the military... Uh, Checkpoints or the military posts yeah, yeah, in military, Yeah, military posts. And uh, we, we catch the military arms and we, we armed with the military arms. Yeah. yeah, so you managed to break into armories mm-hmm. and we've seen this dramatized in yeah. movies too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, crashing into the armory, mm-hmm. stealing the weapons, mm-hmm. arming yourself and becoming militants. Yes. And basically taking over the yeah. city. Yeah. Did you have any encounters personally, you, Professor Che, with the military? Oh, no. No. No, I am okay. not. I was the member, a member of the civil committee to stabilize disorder of Gwangju. I worked for the contact at Foreign Press. Ah, yeah. so you, uh, back then, did you also speak English back then? Yes. Okay, so you were, de- I remember all of my colleagues mm-hmm. in the, the uh, press, mm-hmm. the journalists, mm-hmm. they're obviously a bit older now, but they said mm-hmm. that the people of Gwangju mm-hmm. involved in the uprising mm-hmm. were so happy to see 
foreign press, international yeah. press, yeah. because mm. it was drawing attention to mm-hmm. this. Yes. And so you were one of your main jobs was to deal with the press at the time. Yes. What kind of things did you say? I wanted to try out the truth of the Guangzhou people's uh, protest. Mm-hmm. Guangzhou people want the, the repealing of the martial law, and the Guangzhou wants the democratization of the Korean society. This situation is not the riot. This situation is the pr- uh, protest for the democratization of the Korean society. What other kinds of things were you doing during those six days that Gwangju was under siege? I mean, how did you live? There was enough food and everything? There is not enough food, but the, this is an important point. That many of the Gwangju people presented us the many food and the drinking water. The residents, everybody shared. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Was, I call that. Uh, it's a kind of the self-governing community regime mm. based upon the reciprocity, solidarity, and then self-help. Mm. That's a core value of the Guangzhou protest. End of this uh, six days. Tell me how the, the how things resolved and how what your sights oh, and sounds were like. That's a very humiliating situation for me. I learned out. Are you so, saying you, you ran? Yeah. And I, you I, ran I, out. Yeah, and ran out Mm-mm. because I was very afraid of that situation. Sure. Yes. So many friends of mine died the last day. Friends. Yes, my friends. So this is kind of a survivor's guilt. Mm. Yeah. That's my fatal scar of my youth. I'm very humiliated of that situation. I land out because of, I was very afraid of the situations. This is yeah. not uncommon to hear yeah. stories like this. Someone mm-hmm. who survives a tragic yeah. thing like this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they ask themselves the mm-hmm. question, why didn't I die there mm-hmm. too? Yeah. Why didn't I give my life? This You carry these six days with you mm-hmm. every single day, right? Yeah. Do you get dreams, nightmares? Do you uh, sometimes. Sometimes. I don't think I totally overcame the that sense of tragedy mm. at the times. So sometimes I feel the kind of trauma that that. Yeah. yeah, it's a personal burden yeah. that you carry. Yeah, does, yeah, it, yeah. does it get stronger or worse? Shall we say on this calendar date every year, or oh, yeah. is it? Yes, May eighteenth is yes. a tough date for yeah, you. Yeah, yes. Every year May eighteenth, I remember a friend of mine who died. At that time, and then I visited the, the memorial service for, mm-hmm. for them. Sometimes I cried. <laughs> Naturally. Yeah, this, I mean, you, you, I, you wouldn't be human if you didn't. Uh, so you, part of your work that uh, you've devoted yourself to yeah. is to tell the story, mm-hmm. like you've done here, mm-hmm. of uh, Kwangju in all kinds of scenarios. You were just telling me before we started that you went to Massachusetts, my home state, mm-hmm. spoke at Harvard about mm-hmm. this stuff. Yeah, yeah. When you're sitting there or when you're standing up before a crowd mm-hmm. and they don't know much about Kwangju and what no, happened, yeah. Mm. What do you tell them? What do you tell them is the reason why they should listen? And what are the lessons of these six days? We learned the 10 days of the Guangzhou Amnizing, the self-government regime in Guangzhou. There were no felonies, no serious crimes, no lootings in Guangzhou during the 
harmonizing. <laughs> so, so that's the main value, main lesson of the Gwangju harmonizing. How far Korea has come. Professor Che Yongju, a witness and a participant in the Gwangju uprising, mm-hmm. has been here to share his memories with us. Thank you so much for coming oh, in. Thank you very much. Let's get a second perspective on the Gwangju uprising from a Western reporter who is filing stories right from the thick of it. Donald Kirk is a veteran journalist who has covered conflict and crisis all over Asia and other points around the globe. During those fateful days in Gwangju, he was on assignment for a whole array of international newspapers and he watched things unfold. He's here with us now. Don, my friend, welcome. Right. Good morning. It's great to see you. Good to see I you. I mean, look, even in 1980, you were a seasoned journalist covering beats all over the place. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got to Guangzhou, how Guangzhou showed up on your radar and uh, when you started to point yourself there. Well, it was very exciting because I was in the CBS, that's Christian Broadcasting uh, Service uh, building, uh, and uh, and these people there were telling me, oh, this, all this is going on. They were getting very, very excited. And that was where I first became aware of Guangzhou in the uh, Christian Broadcasting Service building here in Seoul. And I said, well, I got to go down there and see what's going on. We, and so I did. And uh, and this I, is on or around May 18th? Or? Yes, it was It was after the outbreak. Uh, the, the young people uh, had basically taken over the city when I got down there. Uh, they were careening around in trucks and, and buses around the city proclaiming that the city was theirs. And uh, the first place I went to was the governor's office, uh, where uh, they gave me a press card, actually. Uh, and uh, uh, one of the young people uh, gave a briefing, a press conference for, for me and other reporters that spoke out at great length on what their demands were and what they were doing and what they wanted, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And so that was uh, really my introduction to the Kwangju uh, uprising. We just heard a moment ago from Mr. Jung that the Kwangju participants were thrilled to see uh, Western journalists. Was that the case with you? Well, yes. I, I, they welcomed us. I, I, I don't know the level of their mm. thrillness. Well, because, so, you know, you guys were getting somehow the story out. They certainly welcomed us, and they certainly uh, uh, right away gave us these press credentials, so to speak, to, to legitimize us, to show that we were, you know, there under their... Protection mm. with their agreement, and uh, they had a, a young person who spoke uh, quite good English, uh, giving us a briefing and a lengthy briefing, statement briefing, and etc. So, I would say that uh, you know uh, I'll accept the view that they were thrilled to see us. Uh, I will just <laughs> say that we were we were welcomed. What about the other side of the equation? I mean, the government, the military had a, a perimeter around Kwangju. Would they? How were they disposed towards journalists getting in there? Was it a case where you were basically sneaking in? or? Well, we, we were and were not sneaking in. There was a way to get in through a back road. Uh, they didn't block the road. They didn't stop us. We saw military people before getting on the road. Then we went on this road and into the city. So it was, it was a way in. It wasn't the main way into the city. But it wasn't as if we had to sort of go all that covertly. Uh-huh. Uh, Okay, so you you got your access relatively easily. You got your briefings and your help by the the residents, and you say you saw the the young people. A lot of them were young, right? Careening around in trucks, kind of uh, 
triumphantly uh, right. saying that they were in control of the city. What other things did you see unfold? I mean, did you did you ever witness violence? We hear of horrifying violence. We know it occurred, but did you ever witness any? I, I have to be honest uh, with you. I had to file for these papers. I went I I went in and quanged you a couple of times when this was happening, but at the moment of the of the massacre, the you know the bloodshed, I, I was in Seoul, frankly, mm-hmm. uh, filing stories. I went down there right afterwards. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the most pathetic sights I've ever seen in my life was the, that of coffins uh, lying around the governor's building where we'd had this briefing. Mm-hmm. And people were, uh, uh, relatives, parents were sort of very slowly look, lifting up the lids of these coffins to see if they recognized their loved one inside. A very, a very saddening sight. Uh, so that's, that stands vividly in my mind, just as vividly as my, my original visit to Guangzhou. Mm. How long did you stay when you were down there covering that? Was it uh, a matter of a, a week, a few days? Or? It was a matter of a few days. Uh, a, a lot of us stayed in a Yoguan outside the city. Uh, there, were, there, The press was hanging out there. Camera people were sort of setting up, you know, uh, outlying bureaus, so to speak. Uh, and they, they, these people were going in and out every day uh, to get their footage and, and, audio, and tapes out of there. Uh, and it was from there that I went into the city. And I went in a couple of times, actually, and then I went in afterwards. But on on the crunch, when when the bloodshed occurred, uh, I was in Seoul. Okay. So you never particularly perceived yourself to be in danger or felt like it was uh, a touchy situation where you were walking around, that kind of thing? No, I didn't feel in danger. Uh, others uh, who were there during the crunch did feel in danger. Mm. Uh you know, there's stories about their being in uh, nearby hotels and so forth and crouching by windows and so forth and while gunfire was going on. Mm-hmm. But I, I personally, I have to say, I was not in danger uh, just because I was not there uh, at the exact time when the worst of the shooting occurred. Now, there may have been other shooting that was going on. I think there was, actually. But, again, it wasn't happening right around the governor's building or right, or right along the road where I went into the, the narrow back road by which I got into the city. Hmm. In retrospect, uh, and you've written to this effect, uh, you've compared this to kind of a Tiananmen moment, Kwangju uh, as quasi-Tiananmen uh, square moment. To what extent is that uh, a valid or valuable comparison, do you reckon? Well, I never saw anything like Kwangju uh, anywhere. Until, and you were in, I should point out, you were also in Tiananmen right, Square until, during that. Until Tiananmen. I never saw anything like Kwangju uh, until Tiananmen. And it was the same kind of situation on a grander scale, mm. much bigger scale, my, vastly larger city, mm-hmm. Beijing. And and they had the sort of the central area. Uh, and and they had the Statue of Liberty uh, paper, uh, some kind of a image of the Statue of Liberty on Tiananmen Square. Mm-hmm. They were hanging out there for days. Uh, and they were going up and down streets and so forth. And they, too, uh, were welcoming foreigners. Uh, uh, it was very hard to get a taxi. I, I rented a bike for a very uh, super discount price and went around on my bicycle around around that area. Uh, so uh, definitely when I got to Tiananmen, which was 1989... Uh, you know, I, memories of Guangzhou surged into my mind. Uh, although Tiananmen was a much larger, uh, much larger uh, uprising, 
a different and, and, and concentrated in a very small area relative to you know the city of Guangzhou. So there's it's a little bit apples and oranges to a certain extent. Right to a certain extent, but I but 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 really, uh, I, I they're very they, they're certainly bare comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, these dissidents uh, uh, or rebels or whatever they however you want to def- call them taking over a, a, a city. Uh, and uh, as I say, uh, Tiananmen definitely bears comparison with uh, Guangzhou. Guangzhou, of course, I mean, we uh, now the common acknowledgement is that it set in motion democratization and that it was a key sort of watershed moment while you were there and filing stories. Did you ever fear or suspect that Guangzhou would have a much darker end than it did? No, I didn't. I didn't think Guangzhou would uh, would uh, really uh, have that kind of a tragic ending. Uh, but after Chuangzhou was over, uh, it should be remembered, the government was uh, still very much ensconced. It wasn't for another seven years, really, until the government was, uh, till, till Korea introduced the democracy constitution. Certainly the Chuangzhou uh, uprising set in motion or was a part of the general motion toward a democracy constitution. It should be remembered that, uh, before Kwangju, there was the assassination of uh, Park Chung hee in October 1979. Then uh, there was a period when it looked as if uh, Korea was really going to democratize, you know. It really looked as if democracy was happening now. Uh, Kim Dae-jung uh, was free to give uh, interviews. I interviewed him uh, at the time. And the next thing you know, uh, he was jailed uh, and Chun Doo-won was taking over. And and suppressing the Guangzhou revolt. So Guangzhou, yes, you could say it, it was the beginning of a, a series of events that led to democratization. On the other hand, it was also the beginning of the rule, the harsh rule of Chun Du Wan, uh, and and it, and it heralded uh, seven years of uh, quasi dictatorial rule. Still, a fair amount of polarization. I mean, even among journalists, right? Guangzhou uh, is still a story to be discussed. Yes, and I think Guangzhou is going to be discussed a num- many times. There's different interpretations, different sides of Guangzhou, different views and memories of what happened, and so forth. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think there's there's some controversy, if I may say so, about whether North Korea was involved in Guangzhou. I was not my impression. Every now and then, we see little headlines percolating up to that effect. You know, very relatively evidence-free, but uh, the accusation gets uh, late. I remember, you know, we emphasized that the U.S. military warned North Korea not to get involved. The U.S. military tried to stay out of it as well. Well, yeah, now there's a couple of things. Uh, there's, a, there's a view that the U.S. military was behind the suppression of Guangzhou, which certainly isn't true. What uh, General Wickham did uh, was to say, okay, uh, you can move your – you gave permission to uh, – General No Tae Woo, then general and and um, and Korea Military Academy classmate of Chun Doo Wan, he gave him permission to move uh, his troops, uh, but he didn't realize that special forces were going to be at the forefront suppressing the Guangzhou revolt. All right, plenty left to discuss, but we're out of time. Don, I really appreciate you coming in. Thanks very much. You're welcome. That's going to bring today's edition of Koreascape to a close. Our show is produced by Sol Kim with associate production from Jamie Lee and writing by Christine Saul. I'm Kurt Asian. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Koreascape is the handle. Come on back tomorrow. We're having Dive in Korea, our weekly discussion of trending topics. This, That, and Amy is up next, and we will see you again tomorrow morning.